Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, it's been a heck of a week out there, hasn't it? I hope everybody was able to stay warm. I'm going to say maybe dry, but um, definitely the cold was pretty brutal. And uh, hopefully you've been able to uh, shovel out your walkway, your driveway, and your car. It was uh, quite a mess in the city this week. And, you know, sometimes this is where a lot of people are saying, thank goodness I own a condominium. I don't have to do all that work. But for those of you that uh, that do have a, a detached or semi-detached property in the area, make sure you uh, clear your walkways. It's one of those things about being a good neighbor and... You know, it was interesting because I heard on one of the shows this week about them talking about the city of Toronto coming around and giving people warnings. And uh, out of uh, last year, I think there was eight fines given out of 2,000 warnings. So, you know what, you can play a little Russian roulette, but you know what, be nice, clear your eyes, you're all set. So, lots to talk about this week in real estate, of course. A little bit of a soft start to the year. Does, do you think the weather has anything to do with that? I do. And of course, you know, people need to get motivated. A few things in the news that we're going to be talking about this hour. But most importantly, I am going to be bringing back that new segment we started last month. And it is the Real Estate Talk Triangle. And my guests this hour are going to be Romana King. And she's Director of Content at Zolo. And Greg Bennell, host with BNN Bloomberg's The Real Economy. So they're going to be joining, joining me in a little while. But um, I got a lot to vent about this week. And, uh, you know, just a, just a couple of things that, you know, it, it's interesting because I can listen to the, the station all the time. And, you know, we've got some great hosts and guests that join us. But the odd time I hear a couple guests that get on and, you know, it kind of gets under my skin. And I thought that I, uh, I wanted to weigh in on something. And it was regarding, you know, the, the level of government and some of the people that are government and how they're trying to imply that landlords are taking advantage of tenants when they are when they're looking at increasing rents. And um, I, I just want to break it down for a second because one of the things that I think there is is this massive misperception that you know landlords are off of one property are getting rich and they're sitting back and you know they're driving fancy cars and having great vacations because of one property. The truth be told right now, if uh, if you've bought a house or let's say a condominium in the last three years, uh, you have negative cash flow. So when they rent it out, they're really looking for things for the future, like paying down the debt, paying down the mortgage, despite the fact that a lot of these landlords on your typical one bedroom condo are doling out seven, eight hundred dollars per month out of their own pocket to subsidize the property. And I'm sure a lot of you are going, oh, boo-hoo for the poor landlord. Well, hang on, folks. If these guys didn't exist, if landlords didn't exist, then the people that cannot afford or do not want to buy real estate wouldn't have a place to live. And so this has been one of those things for the last two years that's been heating up because, you know, rents have gone up. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the hour uh, about how much the rents have gone up. And I, I agree, they have gone up. But when you take a look at the values and the exposure of debt, I think that that's one of the big things that we need to have a really good conversation about. And on top of that, the fact that when uh, when somebody doesn't pay their landlord, and this is this is one of those things, then you should get out of the property. Quite frankly, if you were to lease a car and you don't pay the lease, what happens? You get it repossessed. But right now, with the landlord-tenant boards, the way they've set it up, there is a massive delay, and people can get away with paying, not paying their rents for three months, making the landlord pay all the expenses that that tenant has actually incurred. Is that fair? 
you know, it's, it's a valid question. Why should a complete stranger pay for your roof over your head? And so this is, this is that whole, you know, love hate relationship that people have with landlords and tenants. But I think if we break it down and say, okay, fine, landlords, uh, you know, rent controls in anything pre previous to uh, November, 2018. So we can't jack the rents. Okay. Fair enough. That's, that, that's honest. That's decent. Everybody goes into it with an open mind. They understand that. But what about the fact that as a tenant, they commit to paying rent and then they live for free for months and months and months because right now the government, the way they have it set up are screwing landlords and are not doing anything to help them evict. And a lot of people are probably going, yeah, but I shouldn't be evicted from my home. Yeah, but you're, it's not your home and you're not paying for it. And so this is this is that one that gets under my skin because as a landlord myself, we've had these scenarios and the people have the money. They just decide that they're going to play the system. And ultimately, in the end, it costs us thousands of dollars and we have to have them evicted. And so this makes somebody a bad landlord, but they're not. The, the right to collect money for rent is a legal right. You make a legal commitment to pay it. So that means that you can stay in the property. If you do not pay that rent, then you should not be allowed to stay there. And the landlords should have the right to be able to evict a lot sooner than getting stuck with a deadbeat for four or five months while the landlord has to keep their mortgage payment up, their property tax, and if they have to pay the condominium fees, they have to do the same. So again, this is one of those things that's been popping up in the news a lot. And listening to uh, the round table this week, I heard you know uh, one of the guests talk about somebody, about landlords being greedy. Well, what happens if a tenant doesn't pay? And, you know, they have no answer to this. In fact, it's normally that, that government approach where it's not the government's responsibility to help you collect, but it's not the government's responsibility to help you evict either. So, so they're basically saying, too bad, you're a landlord, suck it up. And they believe that everybody being a landlord is already rich enough so they bought the property. You know, a lot of people that when they buy investment properties, they leverage, they, they use uh, credit lines, they borrow money to be able to get into the market because they believe in a long-term solution and yet people can take advantage of it. Um, so that's a little bit of my rant this week. And I think that we need to do a big change with how the rules are set up. I agree that landlords should not be able to kick people out to turn around and improve and try to jack their rents. But I certainly believe that the landlord has every right in this world to collect rent when a tenant signs on the lease and you know what they have no excuse you know the, the there's nothing wrong with the property they just don't pay and that in itself should show you that you know what landlords uh they, they don't have you know it, it's not all sunshine and roses and it's not a rainbow at the end of it um but so let's talk about a couple other things sorry had to get that off my chest uh speaking of you know looking at some more properties uh john tory's housing plan could benefit with some thought full design this was in the globe and mail and uh, interesting article actually mr tory is doing his best to try to create more properties in fact they're looking at freeing up uh, a few sites here in toronto uh you know huge one uh, 13.8 acres near the uh, kipling subway station that'd be great uh potentially could put in 2300 units there uh, another a few other large sites <clears throat> near the 401 404 Parking lot at Wilson Station is similar size. Uh, smallest uh, sliver of land, of course, is Eglinton Avenue West and Allen Road. Um, not going to be able to put a whole lot of units there. But here's the thing. Uh, right now, they believe that if they can cut through some of the red tape, 
uh, change some of the zoning bylaws and all sorts of things, you know, they could maybe start construction in two to five years. So let's go to the five-year plan there. And we're only talking about 10,000 homes so far. Um, by the way, we have a deficit every single year of about 10 to 15 to 20,000 homes. So if we continue to grow, that's going to even get worse. And But, you know, one of the things they quoted in this um, in this article was the fact that each one will encounter pushback from the NIMBYs. Everybody knows what NIMBY is. Not in my backyard. And... So they don't want, uh, a lot of people will push back and try to get the council to change their mind to allow this. So where does, where does uh, the, the middle ground happen here? Where do we finally figure out, you know, what is the best way to deal with the shortage and yet not offend everybody because they're so concerned about growth in their area? Or do we just stay on one side, push everybody out to the outer reaches? Or do we turn around and say, well, forget it. We're going to be, be a world-class city with world-class density. So again, not sure where we're going to go with that one, but I, it's going to be interesting. Uh, by the way, I keep forgetting, and uh, I know that uh, my producer always tells me that I need to mention that we've got a simple seminar coming up on Wednesday, February the 27th at 7 p.m. You don't want to miss this one. Uh, going to be talking about some of the new rules and regulations, of course, um, a few new releases that we've got. Uh, people can actually own investment property full cash flowing, everything done by March, uh, end of March. So, you know what, really easy, great seminar. We've been packed uh, for the last five, and I would definitely say it's something that you want to do if you're considering to learn a little bit more about being a real estate investor. So go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register and make sure you get on the list because you don't want to miss this stuff, especially at this time of year and where the markets are sitting. And with all these new rules and regulations, it's a real eye-opener, folks, and that's one of the things that uh, the feedback we've been getting is that people did not realize certain aspects about owning investment real estate, and uh, we're, hope uh, we're hoping that we can open more and more avenues for people so they have a better understanding of it. Um, but speaking of the market for 2019, a bit of a soft start. Uh, you know, uh, we're not looking at January being an incredible month. Of course, weather's got a lot to do with this, and this is one of those things that you know, when it's this cold out, like we uh, experienced this past week with the snow and everything else, who really wants to go out and buy? Now, a lot of people I know are surfing the uh, surfing MLS.ca, taking a look at properties. But ultimately, in the end, I got to tell you, um, as you know, as a past realtor, I would not be motivated to take anybody out in weather like this past week. And so that that in itself might slow people down. We didn't have a whole lot of momentum coming through December either. You know, it's been uh, been one of those things. In fact, what they're telling us a little bit about the market, uh, not a huge number increase. We're probably looking at getting pretty close to about 80,000 units done. So a little bit of an increase from the 77,000 last year. But most importantly, really uh, about a 1.6% increase in value. So nothing too scary. So if people are looking, there are deals out there, by the way. I, I know most people don't believe that, but there are people that have to sell. This is the time of year. If you want to buy real estate, this is it. This is the time where not everybody's out there. You know, people that are selling have to sell. Not saying you're putting anybody over the barrel, but truth be told, this is a very good time of year to buy before the hot spring market comes in. And if the banks do what they're supposed to, then perhaps we're going to see uh, a little bit better interest rates uh, being brought down to us. So um, that's about it for the, for my rant this week. But coming up after the break, I've got Romana King and Greg Bennell joining me for the Real Estate Talk Triangle. 
and uh, you don't want to miss it. These, these folks have some great insight. So we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So um, I don't know if everybody tuned in for the last time that we did the uh, real estate talk triangle, but um, you know, I I, I kind of had this idea and you know shared it with the producers, and I didn't want a roundtable. I you know I didn't want that many people weighing in on real estate. So instead, I just figured I'd reach out to you know two people, of course, that I I admire and respect the most in the industry. Uh, Ramana King and Greg Benell are joining me again, and. It's a great little banter, and um, by the way, welcome back to the Real Estate Talk Triangle, folks. Great to be here. Thanks, Bob. Great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hope everybody's staying warm. I know that it's been one heck of a week. Uh, Romana, are you, are you, were you experiencing this weather out in the Vancouver area, or uh, is it just oh. Toronto is having the fun? I don't, I don't want to rub it in, but we were in uh, sweatshirts, <laughs> although I, I hear we're getting some cold, a cold snap next week, so we will get some of this true Canadian weather, not to worry. <laughs> so lots, by the way, since we last spoke, a ton of stuff that has been popping up, and I just, I couldn't wait to talk to you uh, regarding, and one of the recent ones, and, and I just, you know, I almost think it's so unfair, was that a, a, it was a, a UBC professor uh, they brought this up and, um, you know, he, he's now retired. He's got a vacation property in BC, lives in BC, vacation property in BC, spends 48 out of 52 weekends a year there, and he's getting nailed with a speculation tax. So what do you think? I mean, this almost sounds impossible. And and the funny thing is, the Minister of Finance in BC said, "Well, don't worry about it. You can simply rent it out." Well, this is their this is their secondary home. This is their home. They don't want people moving in, you know, part-time as tenants. Uh is is this becoming a a problem out in BC? I mean, if you would ask me, I think at this point this is heavy-handed politics. It's almost almost coming down and saying, hey, if you want to live in B.C., uh, you can't own you know, a vacation property in B.C. as well unless you want to really pony up and pay for it. I, I think that it's a, it's a little unfair, and I think that the, the, the regulations that are certainly looking at speculation and vacancy, they definitely need to be tweaked because it's, it's unfair. I mean, if you've got someone who spent their almost their entire working life paying B.C. income tax, and now because they're retired – you're going to classify their second home that they worked and paid taxes for as uh, as vacant. Uh, it, there's a problem. Yeah, and and here's the thing: they bought the land in 1991, so it's not like they they hopped on the bandwagon in the last couple of years and said, "Let's ride this one into you know the riches." They they owned it since '91, put up a new property back in the late '90s, and since then have enjoyed it. And this was their getaway, and now they're being taxed on it. And I think he's just an example. I think there are going to be more people that got caught in this. It's it's exactly like, uh, you know, about four or five years ago, and, and Greg, maybe you can weigh in on this, when the CRI started clamping down on, on speculators that were flipping condos. There were people that legitimately bought a condo to live in and for whatever reason couldn't. Maybe they fell in love, got a job promotion to a different city, whatever the case. And suddenly they were they were being charged a business or income tax on this, uh, you know, the appreciation of the condo when they sold it, as opposed to capital gains tax. Laws like this are, you know, we've talked about this, Todd, they're pretty blunt instruments. It's like wielding a battle axe to try and cut your grass. It's it's not very fine-tuned. Yeah. you got to think that there would be some sort of remedy, right, where if you can prove your case, and it should be hard to prove the case like the one in B.C. of 
someone having, you know, spending that much time in that property or the fact that I had a life circumstance, I had to sell the condo for this reason. I mean, you hate to get into the realm of more paperwork because governments love paperwork. You can get <laughs> lost in the shuffle. But yeah, there's, there's these, as you said, these blunt instruments where people say, well, this is the rule. And even though you have a perfectly reasonable and logical case, we're just going to ignore you because you got caught up in the rule. Yeah. And Greg, yeah. you know, interesting that you said about paperwork, um, the, the professor was quoted to saying that, hey, listen, you know, I, I'm a fairly intelligent guy. You know, I'm a professor at UPC and I couldn't make head nor uh, tails <laughs> of the paperwork. And when submitted, the, this is the this was actually, again, the comment by the Minister of Finance in B.C. saying, oh, well, if you can't afford it, maybe you should rent it out. And it's like, wow, that's like just saying to somebody, why don't you rent out your house if you can't afford the taxes on it? Yeah, or why don't you uh, go get a loan if you can't afford to buy groceries because the federal government's not paying you? But that's another country's problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ramana, you, you know, in Toronto, we're, we're, we're kind of off to a soft start. Weather's not uh, obviously helping. But how about, uh, how about BC, Vancouver? Are, are you a little bit slow for the first month? I mean, we're always a little bit slow in January. We've How many times have real estate reporters said, you know, if you want to get a good deal buying January, you're going to have half the inventory, but you're going to save, you know, $50,000, $60,000 off the purchase price uh, compared to the year before. January is always slow. I think this is the moment or this is the month where we sort of hold our breath and hope, A, the weather gets better, and B, what's the spring going to look like? Because it's really the spring market that's going to dictate a little bit about, you know, how the rest of the year is going to go. I mean, that said, we're off to a slow start, but it's starting to pick up. You're starting to see end of month, uh, there's activity, some of the not, not as pristine homes, the ones that are going to have a tougher time competing in the spring, they're starting to go up on sale. So yeah, average sale price is starting to creep up. I think that the spring market is going to be not super busy. We're not talking overheated. It's going to be a regular spring market. I think so, we're actually going to see some enticements too, given what we've seen yeah. in the interest rate space, right? With the bond yields and now the big banks taking down their five-year fixed mortgages with those special rates. I mean, it, it's it's going to be a weird situation where we were warned all through last year to get used to higher borrowing costs. And I think we're going to end up seeing banks competing with each other again for our, our business and being able to offer lower rates because the market's changed. Okay, well, now, that, we, now, Greg, don't tend right? Don't tease us. No, no, it's okay. Don't tease us, Greg. You know, you're getting everybody a little excited right now. Now, the Fed also did not raise, you know, their their rate this week, and they did kind of cite, you know, a little bit more of a cautionary tale. Before, you know, back in December, they were very bullish, and you could see they you, you just had, had this aggressive tone to their to their uh, release. But this week, it didn't sound as aggressive. Do you, do you think that maybe they're going to start checking it up and, and not put as many increases in effect? Yeah, you got to sort of wonder what got to Jay Powell at the Fed. I mean, yeah, last year he was so bullish, and we talked about all the different uh, measures they were going to take, and not only the need to raise the cost of borrowing, but they hold a huge amount of mortgage-backed securities and bonds. That was all after the, the big economic collapse of 10 years ago, and they were going to sell those off, and suddenly he's, he's changed his mind, saying, oh, no, we're not in a preset course there, and uh, we'll take our time. Patience is the key word now. And so the thing about the Federal Reserve is people say, well, I care so much about the American Federal Reserve. Pretty hard to see our central bank getting aggressive on rates to the, mm. to the extent that Governor Paul is like the said he would. 
if if the Fed is on hold. I think Powell, you know, patience is a key. I think that's code for let the Trump factor wind its way through and see what happens. (laughs) So we're going to go to a quick break, but when we come back, Romana and Greg, um, we we need to delve into one of the hottest topics, of course, is the rental market. So, folks, I've got Romana King and Greg Bennell joining me for the Real Estate Talk Triangle. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're joining us during our Real Estate Talk Triangle. My guests this hour are Romana King. She's, by the way, a director of content at Zolo. She's a real estate editor, author, uh, real estate expert. Greg Bennell, host with BNN Bloomberg and, uh, and the host of The Real Economy. And always a pleasure to have them on. And uh, if you missed the first part, make sure you uh, go do a rewind. Go to our SoundCloud account here at News Talk 1010 and pick up on what our discussion was. And, and just before the break, we were discussing the fact that, you know, interest rates may get a little, uh, a little bit softer for us. Uh, Greg, you know, you, you'd mentioned that maybe we get a little bit of an incentive. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we saw Royal Bank turn around and ease up on their five-year policy. Um, do you think we're going to see a little bit of competition? I mean, BMO normally sticks their head up, head up right about this time of year. Yeah, because we had that big uh, conference where all the banking CEOs showed up a couple weeks ago and they talked about the fact that they don't see the mortgage book growing as aggressively as past years. You have to start wondering where is the growth going to come from and the bond market has given them the perfect opportunity to say, hey, if we want to get aggressive, we want to get competitive with each other, we can do it now. Our funding costs are going lower. So RBC moved, some of the other big banks moved. So I think you're setting the stage for some enticements in the spring in terms of uh, lower borrowing costs, at least lower than we thought they were going to be if you're going to get it and uh, start shopping for a house. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Romano, when you, when you hear things like that, obviously, you know, uh, when we talk about the Vancouver market, which was the big leader uh, as far as, you know, aggressive buyers, big prices, and then, and then you guys, you guys kind of initiated the, the, the slowdown, of course, that's because you had the, um, the foreign buyer tax first, and then everything else, you know, kind of trickled into everybody else's market. At this time, do you think that a, a slight shift is going to also help your market? Because you really did kind of grind to a halt there. I think it will. I think Greg's right. I, I, the banks are looking at this and realizing, you know, our, a big chunk of our business is, you know, mortgage, new mortgages every year, and that, that happens in the spring. The fact that, the, you know, the Bank of Canada is not going to raise rates, the Feds haven't raised rates, um, they have that movement. And what's going to happen is you're going to have those people that were impacted. I mean, we knew that what happened after the mortgage stress test, people had a struggle to get into the market. So people that are struggling or worried that not, they're not going to be able to afford anything as rates do move up, you know, going into the future, I think it's going to motivate them to get in this spring, which means there's going to be an uptick in activity and everyone's going to feel positive. I think we have to temper that positive. I'm not saying it's, it's not a good thing. We just got to temper it and realize this is cyclical. We can expect this and almost predict it every year in the spring. This is what's going to happen. You know, mortgage rates go down a little bit to be competitive. There's going to be lots of people that come in, uh, and then it's going to temper off or taper off into the summer. The problem we have is a few years ago that didn't happen, and it sort of changed the expectations. But really, the mortgage cycle is slow in January, ramping up in the spring, slow down in the summer again. So, you you mentioned the stress test, and I'm glad you brought that up because the province of Alberta is saying that they should not have the stress test. It's making it even tougher for you know people to buy in that marketplace. They weren't in a position of overheating, obviously, you know, lots of reasons there. Um, what do you think? Is is this something that the federal government should now make more provincially to be able to you know keep the valve on each province? 
Yeah, you get back to the blunt tools thing again, right? You impose <laughs> it all across the country, and, the, and in the end, what they were trying to do is just calm Toronto and Vancouver down. And I can, the, the other provinces, the other cities are completely right to cry foul. It was interesting that that report that uh, got pretty uh, quickly denied by Bill Morneau earlier this week at a, a Reuters late last week that they wanted to extend stress tests or at least had conversations around the table about the shadow banking sector, mm. the private lenders, and you scratch your head and you say, wait a minute, the whole thing about the unregulated space is that's unregulated, so how do you start regulating them with stress <laughs> tests? It didn't, didn't make a lot of sense, and then Morneau came out, I guess, at that earliest opportunity and said, yeah, no, no, we're not going to do that. It's tough. I mean, Calgary, they were just sort of squeaking by, stagnant. You know, the prices really dropped after we were. they were hit by the oil crash or the price of oil uh, in 2014. And they sort of limped along. And then to hit them with, a, you know, a broad, you know, federal mortgage regulation, it, just, it does really hurt. Uh, I don't think that Calgary is down for the count, but I think that they are going to experience a little bit of what Winnipeg experienced a few years ago, what Montreal experienced a few years ago. They've got oversupply, and it's going to be harder for their their market to sort of rebound in 2019 where others might feel a better spring and summer. Well, you see, right now, Calgary's calling for still a price reduction of about 2.3% for 2019. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, where where do we make the final decision? Is it that if a market retracts by a certain percentage, then we need to take, you know, the foot off everybody's throat and say, okay, maybe we ease the stress test down to 1% as opposed to 2 I mean, is there a solution where the government still feels like they've got control, but yet is opening up the doors for everybody? What do you think? I think it's one of those things where you, I, I don't think people would think the government was offside. I mean, maybe people in Toronto and Vancouver would who want to get in the market easier. But they said, listen, there's a clear problem here. The clear problem mm-hmm. is Toronto and it's Vancouver, or at least it was. So instead of doing it for the entire country, just say we're going to get those greater metropolitan areas and everyone else is exempt. I mean, that's a tough thing, though. It's, you know, when you've got federal, provincial, municipal, and it's one of the reasons why Morneau at one point said we, got, we need a roundtable. You know, he, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of years ago he announced there's going to be a roundtable. We're going to have three levels of government talk about the housing problem. Uh, we never did hear back about the roundtable. I remember asking Morneau's office, and, you know, they, did, they sort of fluffed me off. But uh, they wanted, I think they wanted strategic, um, regional uh, issues dealt with regional government and they couldn't get that buy-in and so that the broad you know acts of the the federal government came in the problem we've seen and the problem that was predicted was that it was going to impact other areas of canada in a negative way we're now seeing those predictions come true with calgary and there's going to be other markets that i, f- I think feel that way as well uh, i mean it's, it's not like the, the the east coast is you know scooting along just fine and they were hit just as bad with the uh, oil crisis uh, and the and the oil prices as well so it would be nice to see provincial governments step in a little bit and maybe consider uh, more strategic um, regulation, uh, take that away from the federal government. But, it, you know, there's always a battle between feds and provincials and who gets power and who wants power and who gets those dollars, right? Yeah. And it's interesting now, too, because when you talk about trying to narrow cast policy, you have more no saying that they want to help millennials. I mean, in an election year, they want to help millennials get in the housing. So now you have to narrow cast between, you know, were you born 1983 to this uh, year, you get some sort of help. We don't even know what that help will be. It's all so vague, but it seems like now they think they can take a finer scalpel, but mm, yeah. any details about how they would actually do that. And I know a lot of people are concerned about any broad-based measures that could 
sort of tip the apple cart in the wrong direction because you want to help millennials. You know, Greg, I'm really shocked that you would imply that the government could be vague on anything. <laughs> I mean, based on, you know, what wonderful governments we have in place, both federally and provincially, you know, there's so much to, to you know, obviously assume with them. Uh, speaking of, Mr. Ford says, uh, fixing a uh, fix for Toronto's housing crisis is easy. Just build more homes. <laughs> um, okay, that's it, folks. We, we don't have a housing crisis anymore. Anybody got a... I think the builders like the sound of that. They're like, yeah, look at that. Oh, build, yeah, outside. builders are loving Ford, yeah. <laughs> How do we even wrap our heads around that one? Well, Ford, Ford, the Ford Nation, you know, they they, they live on sound bites. It's a great sound bite. Um, let's see what happens behind the scenes. Hopefully, what it means is that he, they will actually take a look at some of the really archaic ways they go about dealing with building permits and rezoning land because it's in a very old clunky, outdated process. A couple of years ago, I started looking into different ways you can densify a city. Um, and I know Boston has similar problems where they have these big rambling homes in downtown um, that people, it's too much house. And so people started partitioning them off and creating condos in a house. And now you've got, you know, a large percentage of first-time buyers buy those condos that are in a house. I think we've got one or two And I mean one or two in Toronto. That's it. It's so archaically hard to even try and begin that process. So if Ford can figure that out, my hat would be off to him. Yeah, I like I like the idea of creating a duplex or triplex out of some of these homes. And and Ramana, you and I, and actually Greg, you and I have had this discussion on the show, saying, "Hey, listen, you know, basement apartments, legalizing them, creating more more residents inside the actual existing dwellings that we've got. It's a tough one. I don't know if there's going to be a solution very soon, uh, but it's it's going to be one, that one that we're going to have to watch, and hopefully that we can banter around here. Um, we're going to go to a quick break, but. When we come back, uh, I want to t- I want to tackle obviously one of the hardest conversations that everybody's ha- is having right now, especially the government. And uh, I'll be back, everyone, with Romana King and Greg Bennell. And uh, you're listening to the Talk Triangle right here on uh, News Talk 1010 Simply Real Estate. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guests this hour, Romana King and Greg Bennell, and uh, you've uh, you've joined the Real Estate Talk Triangle. Uh, we're doing this, by the way, folks, uh, once a month, and uh, always great to have these guests join me. By the way, um, you, you can look up Romana. You will have caught a lot of her uh, articles in Money Sense. She is a editor, author, but she's also the director of content at Zolo. And Greg, if you want to see a smiling face, you can catch him on uh, BNN Bloomberg Network on the Real Economy. And um, always great to to listen to him talk about what's going on in the world. But more <laughs> importantly, we're talking about real estate. And you know what? I want I want to get into probably the hottest thing. And I was listening to the round one of the roundtables. I won't say which one, and I won't talk about what guests, but it's seems like everybody has a hate on for landlords uh, nowadays and yet without them we don't have rental properties and everybody is sitting there begrudging uh, landlords to charge rent and everybody's up in the arms because rents have climbed up eight percent but you know Greg and I Greg you and I have had this discussion in the past that says great you buy something today you're still losing money you got to subsidize this thing and yet everybody wants to jump on a landlord if they try to increase their rents uh, is there a solution here? I know, I know, Ramana, you, you deal with this out in, in the West Coast majorly, but here in Toronto, same issue. You know, people are just, they just despise landlords. 
Yeah, that's the thing, right? I mean, and I think it's been broader about the entire real estate industry in the past couple of years, whether it's the landlords or the builders or almost anyone who's bought a home, depending where you are in, in the home ownership chain, it's almost been demonized. But when I think about when I moved to Toronto at first, I rented out an apartment and, you know, my landlord owned the entire house. And if he wasn't providing that rental supply, I definitely couldn't have bought a place in Toronto when I got my first media job in Toronto. So that was sort of like the ladder to get you in. I know I talked to Benjamin Tal before at CIBC and under the old Wynn government when they bought in rent control. And, and from his take as an economist, it wasn't that rent control was bad. He just thought they went about it the wrong way. Find that happy medium. Don't disincentivize someone to become a landlord or a builder to build something for a rental property if they can't make money off of it. Because in the end, you're only going to rent something out, uh, ideally, if you can make some money off of it. I mean, that's not a crime. And we know people who have speculated might be in a, a negative carry situation right now. But it's all part of that sort of healthy market. And I think we can argue right now that in the big cities, it is not a healthy rental market at all, given the supply. And then you end up in that uh, area where the demand is so great and the rents are getting just ridiculous. So, Ramana, what do you think? Are we are we in that position right now where, you know, again, I, I know we hear lots of reports from Vancouver. You know, there are people are struggling, but ultimately, in the end, you know, the the, the actual landlord themselves are exposed quite quite a bit financially. They are. And I, I think you're right. There's a, there's a bit of sort of I guess where you are anyone that is you know, theoretically making money on real estate is is being demonized, you know, and I think that partly because the frustration of not being able to, uh, not having a sense of control by a certain segment of the population to get into the market, you know, the fact that landlords raise rents, and I'm not talking about the people that, you know, do rent evictions and and sort of try and skirt the system, and uh, because I think those are the minority. I think the majority of landlords treat it like a business, which means if their, you know, costs go up, then they have to charge more for their goods. And the cost isn't simply every year there's inflation. It's uh, We've seen a lot of property tax gains, uh, tons of property tax gains. I mean, in, in Vancouver, some people have reported a 30% increase in their property taxes over a couple of years. That's massive. And at some point the landlord has to recoup those costs. And they, they have a very limited way in which they could do that. They can incrementally raise in, uh, rents uh, each year, or they can jump that rent as soon as that unit is vacant and they bring in a new new tenant. And of course, tenants are upset because for the longest time, it was possible to rent well below what it cost for a mortgage. And now it's not. Now they can be on par if you have enough down payment to get into the market. Yeah, I think there's a lot of demonization. I think that um, there's also been a lot of, again, it's, you're looking at bad policy or you're looking at poorly implemented policy and you're looking at archaic rules where you've got, you know, landlord-tenant tribunals that are not very effective that allow, you know, poor renters or poor landlords to continue on over and over again. All of this is sort of bubbling up now because real estate is the number, the hottest topic in Canada. It's past weather, which is kind of incredible. So. <laughs> well, especially, especially this week. But, you know, and, and, and I'm glad you brought up the LTBs because, you know, they're provincially mandated typically, and, and that's their governing bodies. In Ontario, of course, a big announcement last year is that we're going to have less adjudicators. And here's, here's, here's my issue and take on it as a landlord is the fact that, okay, I have to provide a, a clean, dry, warm, you know, properly taken care of property. You, tenant, are going to pay rent that 
that you've agreed upon and you've decided not to pay rent, it takes 90 days to get in front of uh, a mediator or a judge to then get some form of ruling for the either landlord to say, okay, we're, we have to give you a payment terms or we can eventually get you evicted. I mean, landlords can be out of rent for five months. At what point is is the government sitting there and telling us, okay, not our problem. You you know, they're not they're not empowering landlords to say, like, look, if you lease a car right now or if you don't make your mortgage payment, one of two things is going to happen. They're going to repossess the car or the bank's going to send you a notice saying, hey, listen, we're going to put you into power sale if you don't get bring this up to up to speed. Why is it that it's okay for landlords to carry tenants? I think it almost speaks to like the bigger issue. You talk about the fact that you can't get in front of someone to get an adjudication. When we kept putting on more and more rules on the real estate market, people would say, well, wait a minute, there's already rules in place. And if we had actually been enforcing them, mm-hmm. then maybe we wouldn't have ended up in the situation we were in the resale market. Like it's sort of, there was, there was a structure in place and there was a lot of shenanigans going on that weren't being clamped down on. And then we bought in some policy to clamp down on everybody. It sort of reminds me of when you're in grade school and there's one kid who's a spinner in the corner and he's causing all the trouble. The teacher loses it and you're all, <laughs> you're all sanctioned and you're like, wait a minute. No one gets there are, there are yeah. rules already, man. And that kid's breaking the rules. Why didn't we get after that kid? I mean, it's a bit off what you're saying, Todd, but I can see that. But if there's not someone to adjudicate the rules for us and there's not enforcement and our agencies aren't doing that job, then what's the point of keeping on more rules if, if there's no one to take the rules to to get a judgment on it? But Ramana, you know, if, if we own commercial real estate, you know, there there's a lot stricter rules. You basically mm-hmm. have 30 days, put a lock on the door and say, sorry, uh, you know, you're out and come and collect your stuff. But in and when, it, when we talk about residential, it's basically the government sitting there saying, oh, well, okay, suck it up and eventually we'll get to you. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the dilemma with residential real estate. And that's one of the biggest risks being a landlord with residential real estate is that it's not just an asset. It's not just uh, a part of a business model. It's also somebody's home. If we're looking at the the, the big picture, though, is there going to be a solution for the LTB? It saddens me and it scares me that they're removing adjudicators. I mean, I've gone through LTB and it's it's an onerous process, both if you're a landlord and as a tenant. Um, and and if you've got legitimate you know case on either side, it's an onerous proposition. But to, to ask someone, any business owner, hey, I'd like you to carry your business for six months. Um, without making any income, and most business owners would step out of that business completely, which is a problem because if you have someone that's stepping out of being a landlord and removing rental stock from the uh, rental supply, what do you think happens? You get a shortage. The more we don't provide incentives for people to see this as a legitimate course, the less we're going, supply we're going to have, and that increases the problem. I really don't like the fact that we're removing some of these methods to try and enforce or try and at least adjudicate issues, because there's always going to be issues. You're always going to have a tenant who thinks it's okay to withhold rent because they didn't get something the landlord wanted. And then they go to the LTB and find out, oh, it's not okay to do that, but there is a legitimate process to actually follow through with your complaint. Greg, do you think there's a solution for us? A solution? (laughs) (laughs) Under under a government that wants to find a penny, I mean, speaking on Ontario specifically, a government that's looking to uh, trim the deficit and save every penny. I mean, in the end, (sighs) if you're going to have rules, like we said, you have to have people to be able to adjudicate on those matters. You have to be able to, people to judge right and wrong for either side. And if you're not going to put those resources in place, then you can make all the rules you want in the world if you don't have the people to, to sift through them and enforce them. I mean, you see that a lot, too, from different government commissions, right? Here's another mm-hmm. rule. Who's going to enforce it? Well, you know, we're just going to trust people to do the right thing. And well, sometimes that doesn't, that doesn't work all the time.
See, I have my conspiracy theory, of course, saying that the government doesn't want anybody out on the street, and so they're going to do everything they can to make the rest of the private um, you know, owners take care of it. And eventually, when they, they put 10,000 homes or 10,000 units into the marketplace, even though they'll be short by 100,000, they're going to look like heroes. I want to thank the two of you again for joining me. Uh, always great to have you on, and I look forward to our next discussion, and uh, wish you all the best. No, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Greg. So, folks, that was Ramana King. Uh, she's a real estate editor, author, director of content at Zolo, and Greg Benell, host with BNN Bloomberg. Make sure you catch him on The Real Economy. Uh, he's on Tuesdays. And um, always great to have them on. You know, I'm having a lot of fun with this new format, and I hope you are too, because it allows us to get, you know, everybody to kind of weigh in on a, uh, some of the hot topics that are in the news. And I know sometimes it sounds like we're venting, but you know what? Uh, the truth is, is that we, everybody's got their opinion and keeping it as a try three of us, I think that's probably more than enough opinions for one week. I want to thank my guests once again, Romana and Greg, for joining me. And I want to thank Ian and Andre for keeping it simple. Uh, you know, it's been a cold week, and I hope that everybody can find uh, a little bit of warmth. I know it's warming up, but uh, who knows? Winter is far from over, folks. And so if you are thinking of buying, remember, this is kind of the time of year. If you're going to find a deal, it's it's there for you. Uh, so I want to thank you for joining me. Of course, it's always a pleasure. And uh, remember, make sure you sign up for the Simple Seminar coming up on Wednesday, February the 27th at 7 p.m. You don't want to miss this one because we are going to be talking about what you should be looking at in investment real estate for 2019. So I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.